And when I got to this camp, there was a camp with 150 orphans. I'd done some research and found out that these kids were put there, no fault of their own. Their parents had died. They, uh, they were abandoned in train stations. There were all kinds of things that happened to them that, that forced them to be in this orphanage, 150, 200 kids in an institution. And I showed up, and these kids were filled with life. I mean, they, they were hugging us, and I mean, we couldn't get them off of us. They were so, so starved for attention. I, I kind of nicknamed them Klingons because they were just like, I mean, they would be like, you had Velcro on you everywhere you went. And they're literally, some of our, our, our seniors in high school, our junior kids, the boys, they'd have like four kids on their back running around, laughs, joy. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. And then I found out what was going to happen to these kids. That at 15 to 16 years old, they'd be kicked out of the orphanage. Within two years, 15% would commit suicide. About 60 to 70% of the girls would end up in some form of prostitution. Some of that forced because of trafficking issues and some of it because they had to to survive. About 70% of the boys would end up in prison and on the street. And it broke my heart. I thought, you know what? If there's anything that spoke of justice issues, it was this. Because here's these kids that were just full of life and they just wanted a future. They just wanted someone to say, you're important. God created you and, and cares for you and, 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 and they just needed a leg up and they weren't going to get it. It was devastating. And here, you know, I'd taken pride all my life because I'd come from a broken home and so I was, you know, I picked myself up all, all the years that I grew up and pretty hard-hearted and, and I just lost it. Because for me, it was the first time I didn't hear about justice issues, but I felt them. It wasn't I heard about God's broken heart for others. I felt God's broken heart for others. And this became at the forefront of my mind. I realized, you know, this isn't just something we're supposed to do or tweet about. It's supposed to be who we are. And so I I want you to think about that in, in relation to justice. Because all of us, we know we're built. God created us in such a way that we have justice in our heart. We really do. Uh, I mean, it's in the fabric of the United States of America. It's in the Pledge of Allegiance song, you know? Justice for all. That all should have liberty and freedom. Well, let me ask you this question. Let's say, uh, by the looks of you, some of you have have, uh, some grandkids, some of you may have some little girls, little boys, and some of you, those may be coming still. What should you think about someone that you're close to? Little boy, little girl, maybe a niece, a nephew. Uh, I've got some, my little girls are over here. Where's Lily? Gracie, wave, wave your hand. I want you to imagine that, that, that now you don't even know my little girls, but I know that you, you, you're, you're compassionate, kind people. Imagine that right outside the church here, there's a pond, and Lily fell in it and was drowning. And you knew about it. And you could do something to save her life. Would you do it? I mean, absolutely. You, you'd be out of here running. I mean, you'd have to outrun me. But we'd do whatever we could to save that little girl from death. Well, what about if that pond was 20 miles away and someone called you and said, there's a little girl drowning and you could get there and you could do something about it, would you? Absolutely you would because you're good people. You love the Lord. You want to follow God in these issues. Well, what if it was 8,000 miles away? Little boy, little girl, something you could do about it to save their life, would you? Absolutely, I think you would. You know, we live in a world where we can do that now. And when we hear about all these issues, about 150 million orphans in the world, millions of people dying from malaria, girls entering into trafficking, over a million girls a year, 
God's cry is he's calling to us to say, be justice. Rescue that little girl. Rescue that little boy. Do what you can to make a difference because that's why I put you on the earth. But you know, one of the sad things to me is I do my best to advocate and speak is that so few people who call themselves Christians are involved in these issues. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that there's been some studies and one of them, for example, was a, was a study that was done on how many people were involved in the AIDS issue. Uh, we work in a country called Swaziland, Africa, where between 40 and 46% of the entire population has HIV AIDS. And literally, that whole nation will be wiped off the face of the earth if we don't do something about it. By 2050, the UN says, they'll be gone. All Swazis will be gone. And so, what keeps people from doing this? And, 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 and this study said that that for evangelical Christians, less than 3% of people said that they were involved and were doing something or would do something to help rescue people and minister to people who had HIV AIDS. Less than 3%. They did another study. How many people who aren't Christians, they don't, they don't come from any kind of faith, are involved or would be involved? It was over 7%. More than double. Um, I, I thought of all the people who call themselves Christians in the world. You know, I remember very clearly when I started speaking on this in, the, in about 2000, there were 80 million orphans in the world. That was the number. That number is more than doubled. This whole thing is ratcheting up. It's getting more intense. There's more needs in the world. More kids are being orphaned. Uh, sex trafficking now is about to become not number two biggest business in the world, but number one. These issues are bigger than they've ever been. With all our technology and with all our ability, it's not that they're becoming less. They're becoming more frequent. Well, if just 7% of people who called themselves by the name of Jesus Christ were involved in orphan issues, there would be no orphans in the world. Whether that was somebody who just reached out to them or actually brought them into their home. 7%. See, this isn't something that is out of our reach. It's something that God wants us involved in. What's God saying to you? You know, I want to throw something out there as one of the reasons why I believe people aren't doing more. I want you to, to take a scene from a movie. So I want you to picture this with me, if you would. Uh, we just come through Christmas. So this is a Christmas scene, right? And there's a family, and beautiful family. Picture perfect, Norman Rockwall kind of family, right? You guys still know who Norman Rockwall is, right? And they're, they're driving to Grandma's house, and they're in this car, and there's Christmas music playing. You know, one of those stations that starts playing Christmas music about September. And, and the snow is falling, they're passing trees that are decorated and lit and, and the sleighs in the yard. And, and it's just an incredible scene. The, the camera pans to the, the beautiful picture of the, the children's faces and, and, and to the dads. And they're laughing and they're singing. What happens next? What happens next in the scene? Guess. How morbid. Car accident. Who says car accident? You know what? There's a PhD study done on this. 60% of people said a car accident. 60%. Now, imagine. Here's the most beautiful scene that you, you, could, you could possibly conceive, and the next thing that happens is a car accident? 60% of people said that. Another 15% said something exactly the same. It was just as fatalistic, but a little more creative. Right, the next scene is, it flashes to the hospital. Dad's got cancer, he's dying. That was, that was another one. Another one was, they get to grandma's house, and, and there's a, a serial killer, you know, wipes them all out. 
So it's a real study. So it's a real study that was done. What, what does that say about us? What does that say about our culture? It says something very important, and it has to do with these issues of why we don't engage in justice. See, one of the things that's happened to us as a culture is that we have lost the ability to be vulnerable. We've lost the ability to throw our heart on the line. We are so afraid of something bad happening that it paralyzes our ability to act. And so what we end up trying to do is to protect everyone and everything around us to make make sure something like that doesn't happen. Right? I mean, a kid can't even get on a bike anymore without mom or dad strapping a helmet down and putting, you know, super glue on it. I mean, are you kidding? When we were kids, we were flying, hitting trees, doing jumps. I mean, almost breaking our arms. I mean, it was part of growing up. But now we're just, we're trying to protect everything. And as a culture, we are the busiest, the most in debt, the most out of shape and overweight of any culture in history. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to numb ourselves from the pain of the reality of what we are facing in our world. We don't want anyone to get hurt. We don't want to, we, we, out of sight, out of mind. We're just going to protect. We're going to make sure that everything is okay. And we're going to make ourselves invulnerable. This is a real study done by Dr. Brene Brown, who is, has a PhD in vulnerability. And one of the things that she said is that because we live this way, and we have this fatalistic mindset. Even when good things happen to us, we get a promotion, we're heading on the way to, to headquarters on an airplane, we just know the plane's going to crash. Right? Just when you have a moment of bliss, tucking your kids in at night, everything is, is going great, this sudden fear seizes you that, that, that something bad's going to happen. And what happens with us is that vulnerability is at the core of some very difficult emotions. Fear, anxiety, and shame. And we don't want to deal with those issues of vulnerability. But here's the problem, that it's also the birthplace of incredible emotions like joy and love and faith and compassion. And here is the deal. You can't numb one. You can't self-select emotions. You can't say, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be afraid of anything. Or I have shame in my life, so I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to numb stuff. And I'm going to be busy, busy, busy. And I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you can't do that and experience the joy that God has for you. The overwhelming love he wants to pour out in and through your life. You can't do it. You can't self-select. You have to be vulnerable if you're going to enter into what God has for you. And this is at the core of what it means to walk in justice. Because to walk with people in their vulnerability, what do we think that vulnerability is synonymous with? Weakness. Man, you guys are great students. We think vulnerability means weakness. Nobody wants to be weak. We're going to protect ourselves from vulnerability. But you know what? I thought it was brilliant what Brady said. God made himself vulnerable because that's how much he loved and cared about us. Complete and utter vulnerability. He modeled this. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he has already done. He's acquainted with our griefs, our sorrows. He gets it. He understands. But if we're truly going to enter into the people that God wants us to be and people of justice and people of compassion, we've got to be vulnerable. And it's going to hurt. I've talked to a lot of my friends who are big business people, really financially successful, trying to get them to go to Russia with us, trying to get them to go to Africa with us. You know what I hear a lot? Oh, man, that would be too painful. I can't, I can't do that. I, I just, I'd be too brokenhearted. So, since when did... 
because I'm, I'm going to be brokenhearted about something or too painful mean that I'm not going to enter into it. This is the key of what Jesus came to teach us. See, the whole idea of compassion. You see Jesus. He was incredibly compassionate for everyone that he came in contact with. Uh, Mark 1, one of my favorite passages where there's a, a leper and he's trying to get to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the disciples are trying to keep him away and he's like, no, don't keep him away. And the man comes and falls on his knees and he's like, Master, if you're willing, you can heal me. And in Mark 1, it says, Jesus deeply moved with compassion. He said, of course I am. Be clean. Do you know what the word compassion means? It comes from two words, cum pati. It means to suffer with. To suffer with. We have to suffer. We, it means getting out of the, the present circumstances of our lives and jumping into the middle with somebody else and carrying their bags, crying with them, rejoicing with them. That's issues of justice that God calls us to be involved in. Now, throughout the course of history, God's people have had a hard time with this. Uh, in Isaiah 58, which I want to bring your attention to, um, and, and, and the overarching principle here of what's going on, I really want you to know, is John 10.10. 10. I'm going to show you a video in a minute that's going to put this together. But John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and life abundantly. And so we are caught in this vortex of the thief constantly trying to steal, kill, and destroy. All the time. And he does it really, I mean, he's like a professional when it comes to orphans, vulnerable children. Widows, people who are being exploited and oppressed. That's where he's the best, of stealing, killing, and destroying. He'll do it from us, too. But what's the factor that changes everything? The factor that changes everything is the life that Jesus comes to bring, of abundance in the midst of those dark issues. Because light's the only thing that can expose that kind of darkness. How does it happen? Through you. You're the only one that can bring the kingdom of God to those situations and see it transformed, not because of who you are, but because you're an agent of Jesus moving through your life. He just wants you to say yes. Well, in Isaiah 58, again, the, the, the Israelites weren't getting this. They were doing all kinds of stuff, but they were doing it from the wrong reasons, for the wrong reasons. Isaiah 58, I'm going to read out of the Message Bible because I like how it says this. Starting in verse 1, it says, Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship. And they love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. That sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Busy, 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 our culture. We're busy. We got lots going on, lots to do. We're seeing the worship songs. I mean, we, we've got this thing down. Keeps going, but they also complain. Why do we fast, God, and you don't look our way? Why do I humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. You know, God starts to say something different here. You're doing all the right things, but are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you doing what you want to do, or are you doing what I have called you to do? You see, it's one thing to talk about justice. It's another thing to live justice. 
Justice is not a noun, right? It's a verb. Justice is Micah 6, 8. What does God command of us? To act justly. It becomes a part of everything that we are and everything that we do. Verse 3 through 5. Well, here's why I don't listen to you. The bottom line on your fasts days is profit for you. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast I'm after? A day to show off your humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation. To free the oppressed. To cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing you do this. Sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then what you pray, God will answer. You will call out and help and I will say, here I am. Here I am. See, God wants us to take the issues of vulnerability and he wants us to spill them out there. He wants us to risk some things. If you look at any man or woman in the Bible, they were never putting themselves into safe positions. Where have we gotten the idea that Christianity is about us being safe? Of protecting everything that we have to make sure nothing's going to happen. Something's going to happen at some point. And yes, we're to pray. And we're to pray for protection. And we're not to be foolish. But as it relates to the kingdom of God and the issues of justice, we have to throw ourselves out there. God says, when you do that, you spend yourself for the poor. Your prayers are going to be heard. I'm going to show up, and everything's going to change. I want you to watch this video. And I want you to think about the issues that we're discussing of oppression and injustice and how it affects the poor. And I want you to think about your role and how when you show up on the scene, living in the power of Jesus Christ, and just maybe you feel like you don't even, you don't have any skills, but you're saying, God, I'm available. I'm going to show up. How God can transform someone else's life because you hear the voice of God and say yes. Watch this with me.
reality is that God is calling. Are we listening? Because you are the answer to a very dark world that desperately needs what God is planting in your heart to be released. Because that is freedom for the captive. That's how there are lives that are transformed. And if you don't know how to do it, get next to somebody who does. Whether that's, you know, your pastor or somebody you meet at this conference. And, you know, one of the people that I admire so much in this area is Brad Riley. For I empathize because he taught me more about the trafficking issues than I could have learned on my own. And he's taught me how to go into very dark places that are painful. Where girls are trafficked by the millions. Little girls and horrible things happen. And you can... You know, get into these empathy experiences. You'll see the Children's Hope Chest one and the I Empathize one looks very, very similar. Totally different stories, but the reason they're similar is because Brad helped us put ours together. But who goes out on the front lines to protect those who are weak. It may not be your calling to do trafficking issues. It may be something else God's calling you to. It may be adoption. It may be foster care. It may be going out and saying, what can I do to help feed the hungry, to provide water to those who are drinking water that's killing them because of the diseases that they're getting. But God's called all of us to do something. The other thing is that we are hope. We are hope. You know, hope is even one of those things that has been relegated to something entirely different than what God had in mind. It's not the biblical definition of hope. We say, oh, well, you're going skiing, hope you don't break your leg. Hope you make it safe. I mean, hope is almost like, ooh, I hope, you know, hope something horrible doesn't happen. That's not hope. 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are that living hope. Think of the characters in the Bible that you admire. Whenever there was a, a problem on the, on the scene, on the forefront of, of history, God sent a man or a woman as the answer. Many times they didn't know what it looked like, but they, but they knew that they had this living hope, this idea that they weren't alone, that God was with them, and they could walk into a situation, and things could change because of who he is. Whether that was in the Old Testament through people like Nehemiah or Esther or the New Testament through the stories of John the Baptist, the apostles, God always sent a man or a woman. In John 1, 6, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I know sitting out here this morning, there's a man, there is a woman sent from God. His name is Tom, Holly, Kelly, Mike, John. You're the answer. As I close in prayer, I just want to take a, a, a minute of silence. I'd like for you to just ask God to speak to you. And I believe God is alive, he's living, he's here, he's with us. He's brought you here so that you, you can embrace something that he wants to use in your life to transform you as you become vulnerable. And your vulnerability, your compassion meets the vulnerability and the compassion of the oppressed and the lost and the hopeless. That, that both lives are completely transformed. That's what God does. He uses you and your vulnerability to do things through you you never thought to transform the lives of others. But if you want to live in that kind of joy, you want to have that, that kind of hope, that kind of, that kind of understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to throw yourself out there. You've got to stop trying to numb your emotions. You've got to stop trying to protect everything and say, God, where you go, I will follow. Pray with me.
Father, we want to take a moment to hear your voice this morning. Because there's nothing more important at this conference than hearing your voice for each of us individually. So God, we clear out the rubble of our lives, the busyness, all that stuff. We just clear it out. We say, Father, speak to us. Why are we here? What's the issue of justice that's burning in our hearts? Tell us what we're supposed to do. And just like in Isaiah 8, your call is, who will go for us? Who will go for me? Who will go into these places? When Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what you want each of us to do this morning. Say, Lord, I'm here. I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot of money. I don't know if I have enough abilities to do anything about these issues, but I have my life. And I'll say yes. So speak to us, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's hear it for Tom. Mm. Thank you, Tom. That was powerful. I think this morning uh, what has happened is the Lord has prepared our heart with the foundation that we want to lay for where we go forward with our action steps. You know, all throughout this day, we want you to understand that we have named this conference the Life and Justice Conference for a very, very important reason. As you hear Tom talk about justice for orphans and the oppressed, we know that those who are oppressed are those in the womb as well, those who are vulnerable, pre-born children, some of the most vulnerable among us. We know that that applies to those at the end of life, those who are lonely and forgotten and hidden. And for all of us involved in this conference, we want you to know that when you hear about the sanctity of human life, we're serious about this continuation and the comprehensive nature of life that it applies through the spectrum. And when you hear us talk about justice, we want you to know the same thing because they're part and parcel of one heart of a God who loves us. And we want you to keep that in mind as you continue to hear incredible messages all throughout the day. We're going to take another break, and then it's time for our breakout sessions. And I have some housekeeping things to tell you. So if you could take out this sheet, I want to make a couple clarifications. Um, the breakout descriptions are on the flyer here. So I thought it was so perfect that Tom just prayed and led us in asking the Father, Lord, which role do you want me to play? Because you know what? Everything that Tom does is not the same call as everything that I do, as Brady does and Matthew does. And we are the body of Christ, hands, feet, other body parts. <laughs> and we have our own purposes and missions that the Lord has set in front of us. Not only to bring his light, as Tom said, 
but to be changed ourselves. So I want you to take a look at this, and I need to make a couple notes here. The first is the session, uh, the second one here titled Bringing Hope to Those Faced with a Difficult Choice, Paul and Chris Reyes from Life Network. Local, incredible ministry, Pregnancy Medical Clinic, Pregnancy Resource Center here, ministering on the front lines to those facing unexpected pregnancies. And so you'll see underneath their description that that's, uh, we, that was a mistake there, and we want you to know how to find them. Here are some room changes. That one, bringing hope to those faced with a difficult choice, the Reyes's and Life Network, is going to now be here in the theater so if you want to go to that, take note. That'll be here in the theater. And then wrapping around adoptive families will be in the student chap chapel. If you're interested in knowing how you can play a role in adoption and orphan care, even though you may not be called to adopt, um, that might be a breakout for you. I also need to tell you one other thing. We have a guy here with a flip camera. Anybody seen him yet? Raise your hand if you've seen him yet. Okay. He's from Focus on the Family. We don't want him to scare you. <laughs> He's here to capture stories of what God is doing in your life. And so if you see him, you certainly don't have to talk to him. But if you're interested in sharing what's happening uh, with you and in you during this conference, just know that he's with us and he's not scary, even though he might look a little scary. Raise your hand back there. There he is. Okay. <laughs> and then finally, after your breakout, lunch will be provided in the foyer. Just show your green wristband. Okay, everybody got that? Uh, there'll be some of us in the back. If there's anything that's confusing, we'd be happy to answer your questions. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get on to our breakout session. So now that we've laid the foundation from Pastor Brady and from Tom, about the scripture and God's heart. We're ready for some practical steps. So let's go see what God has. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that came forth from our speakers. Lord, we just want to be open to you and to whatever you have in our lives. And Lord, we do want this joy and this hope. And we want to be able to be broken and vulnerable and with you to face our fears and to dig in and to make an impact for the kingdom. Show us now, each of us, where you'd have us go to learn about how we could take those next steps. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Enjoy your breakouts.